0: We should be live now. Okay. So I, I have to stop saying bad things about all the people I don't like? Correct. Okay. Uh, but
1: you can say bad things about the people I don't like. Okay. So you just switch over. Oh, okay. That, that, that works. That works. Uh, so we got started just a couple minutes early. Again, we should be live by this point. My name is Michael here at the RPG Academy podcast. Uh, my guest tonight is Jim McClure. Uh,
0: of course. Uh, yeah, he, Here to, we're going to do the, this whole GM Masterclass talking thing. And we're like visual and on camera and all of that. And it's funny because everyone that I, I have a ton of meetings that I do with other game designers and other projects all that online on skype and all that and i never turn my camera on they always wow. call me the, the the faceless boy and i go well yeah i'm a podcaster it's what i do like
1: i'm the silent king you're the invisible <laughs> the king.
0: silent king yes that's right i forgot about that
1: i think we'll go like that for halloween one year silent king okay, silent okay. King. um so yeah we're gonna basically this is our our season one finale for the first season of gm Masterclass. uh we did the first series of the l5r game that we did on one shot yeah uh and uh we're going to talk i mean we have some questions that were already sent in that we're going to address i'm hoping we have some live viewers who might ask them questions live and we can address those as well We were afraid we would talk a long time. We did. Because there's a history of that happening. There is. So we started a little early. We started at 8 instead of our regular 9 o'clock, which that might be why. I don't know if people will join because this is an hour earlier than usual. Uh, Well, we have uh, New York Tater has joined. um, Mickey McKenzie. Uh, they're watching this on Periscope. I still haven't figured out how this works on
0: Periscope. I'm listen. I'm I'm I will be a luddite at this time. <laughs> I don't know what Periscope is. I know it's something people do, and I go. I know it's is this a Snapchat thing? I don't know. I'm uh, yeah. I'm.
1: It's a a social media video chat program but it's like basically like a presentation there's not like a lot of interaction okay but I, so i don't know if they're even able to ask questions oh, I
0: hopefully i don't know how that works just yell it into yeah. your periscope device really loud <laughs> really like, really loud i'm turning uh, into a grandpa with a walker back in my day it was just podcast
1: or you could tweet at us uh at the rpg academy or at gm jim mcclure i'll have my phone on so we'll go from there um so it looks like we got a couple people so far. Hopefully a few more people will join us. But um uh, so let's just do some high level recap. Yeah. So, in case someone happens to watch or listen this, having not gone through anything before, including our series or the original series, that'd be a
0: bold choice.
1: I would question that. <laughs> uh, what was the first? Like, give us the five-minute IMDb summary of L5R Part One. Uh,
0: the okay, so w- what we essentially you want you want the yeah the, the overview of this thing? This is our sure. podcast because we didn't get to edit out the dumb questions yeah, we get asked. Yeah, back. We can't. I edit know, it's live. It's live. weird. Uh, so yeah, essentially, what happened within our story is that we had uh, three. Players Players. Uh we, we had Michael Caleb and James D'Amano, uh, who uh came and played Legend of Five Rings. Uh and it was a podcast series. It aired in was it four or five episodes, whatever it was on, on there. On the one shot podcast oh, network. And essentially the the story that was, was played through was these three samurai were chosen. To come to a, a village where there was a land dispute between two clans, the, the, spider clan and the, the Spider Clan and the Crab Clan. And they they showed up, and essentially the land dispute was the river had moved and the borders had originally been drawn on the river, so there was dispute as far as who owned that territory. Uh, it was essentially an excuse to have have our, our people right. be angry at each other. It was the setup. Other. It was the setup, exactly. And you three were there to essentially make the decision on where the land should be. And then as you got involved into it, you realized there was a whole bunch of political connotations to this uh, and everyone got mixed up in a whole bunch of fun, bad nonsense. Uh, ultimately, you all went up to the river, found that it had been damned by some oni that had been summoned. Uh, you pinned Daigotsu Jin, who was the leader of the uh, uh, sp- uh, Spider Clan, uh, as the person responsible for it. Um, but yet the, because of what we did, which was called a dual stacking plot, it became difficult to go like, yeah, let's just kill that dude um, <laughs> and instead built up and built um, uh, to a very very climactic moment where ultimately we had a duel between James D'Amato's character and uh, Daigotsu Jin. James D'Amato's character won. Daigotsu Jin backed off. But yet there was still implications for a part two. Yeah,
1: there was there was some tension.
0: A little bit of tension. Yeah, Delicious uh, tension.
1: So New York Tater says, actually, yes, he this is the first of the series that he is watched or listened to. Bold. Bold. Bold choice, Cotton. Let's see how that works <laughs> out for you. So the concept of the GM Masterclass is so this was a game that jim ran this is the game mm-hmm. that i played in and we essentially did like a director's commentary so we listened to the audio of that original series with you know with james's in the one shot permission
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and you as the audience could hear it as well on our feed and then when something happened that we thought was interesting or relevant uh to what we were trying to do which is give jim advice we would stop that audio and we would talk about it, and sometimes in length. In a lot of length. length.
0: A lot of length. Uh,
1: and then we would go back and, you know, continue on. And there's a few times where we would just talk over the audio, you know, more like an actual director's commentary. Uh, but I've, I've had people even say that, you know, I think I did a pretty good job with the audio levels. Mm-hmm. But the fact that two of the people in the show were also <laughs> two people on the original, it did sometimes make it hard to know yeah. what was going on. Uh, but the idea was to give GMing advice not in a vacuum. Mm-hmm in a lot of those shows that i listen to and, and a lot of the shows that we do we give theory like this is what you could do or this is what we have done in the past but it doesn't always it's not always a concrete example of okay right there listen that's why i used that word or that's why i asked you to roll right then or that's why i did this and i think it gives a little bit more um, concrete examples to go from so you know it's something we would talk about doing for a long time i'm glad we finally got to do it and i would say more really the the only only negative feedback we got was one person wasn't a huge fan of the original ap and they would have preferred us to just do the context like not have the actual whole audio but like pull out the moments that we were talking about and just link them together without having the whole audio which we talked about doing that It was way too hard. Yeah. It's going to take way too
0: long. The, the, and, and that's what I was going to, I was going to throw that question. I go, that question goes to the producer. Yes. Um, (laughs) to, to, to be concerned about it. But I remember we did, I think we did talk a little bit about that at the beginning because, uh, when we first talked about doing the series before anything was recorded, uh, I started re-listening to the series just to, to refresh myself with, with sort of what happened on it. And I listened to that first episode and I was like, okay, I'm just going to write down a timestamp when there's something I want to talk about. And as I was listening in the car and totally not writing on a pad of paper, Um, we'll, just, we'll, we'll just ignore that. Um, I looked down. and I was like, oh, in the first hour, I have 14 things that I want to stop and talk about. It's like, oh, this may be a difficult thing to do. But yeah. uh, I can certainly understand, you know, not wanting to necessarily sit through all of it. But the end of the day, a production decision was made. And at least I personally thought it turned out decent. Hopefully I mean, we got a lot of good feedback from that. Yeah. I do as well.
1: And and again, I I had that exact conversation and there were a couple of our alpha listeners from our patrons and the faculty within the network. I sent early episodes to like, Hey, listen to this. I want some feedback. And because that was my exact concern, but I, I was evaluating like what I would have to leave in versus what I would have to cut out. And I'm sure there's stuff that could have been cut, but there's also so much context that was needed mm-hmm. that I might have to leave in a lot here and a little there I just don't know that it was worth that much time and effort when it's a great series to listen to anyways. Yeah,
0: and, and I, part, part of that is, of course, my, my wonderful nonsense too, which is I, I context matters so, so much. I think that's one of the advantages of doing this the, the, the way that essentially you, you did it, Michael, on it was there's so many things, especially with, within this series and my personal GM style and many people's GM style. Where one thing builds to another. Um, and if you don't get that building, if you don't get the raising and lowering of tension, if you don't feel all of that, you're not getting the impact and not necessarily being able to see why the scene impacted the way that it did. So I say, I really like that it's, it was in there. Uh, I personally did. Um, but that's again, that's your decision. I'm, I'm through it now. I'm done. Yeah. I'm- I'm, I'm out a, of the basement. Well,
1: you're back in and out. <laughs> I know. Uh, I'm happy with how it turned out. I, I don't anticipate changing it. Uh, you know, in the future, we may look at doing it differently, but I was happy with how it worked and we'll go from there. Uh, quickly, New York Tater did notice. I, yeah, I did shave actually today. I look, uh, I, I look fresh and clean. I did too. I've been scruffying for a while now. I didn't get in trouble at work. No one seems to care. Uh, <laughs> I just got tired of it and it'll start over tomorrow because I, I have a lazy beard. Like, I don't um, really want a beard. I just hate shaving. <laughs> so I'll shave once. I'll let it grow for like three weeks until I look like a homeless person. No. And then I shave it off
0: and start it starts out I can't do it. Got to be clean shaved. Uh,
1: so until we get some new questions, let's go ahead and go to the ones that were sent. Um, I think I included you on that email. Yeah. So let me... Uh, should have, should have had this you, want me to,
0: you want me to ask the question to myself
1: uh, you know uh, give me a second I'll just, uh, entertain the people <laughs>
0: entertain guess. the people I wish I could like juggle or something I don't have juggle I have got story and game theory it's all yeah. I got man
1: I can't actually juggle a little bit
0: can you really yeah. I tried so hard I, I mean I'm
1: terrible at it I'll drop like every seven seconds but I can, I can get the motion in the I'm minute,
0: fairly well coordinated we've talked about this I've done martial arts since I was 12 years old regularly and I j- juggling perplexes my mind and body to a way I'm like I'm sure there's just like once it clicks it clicks but man I have tried and just can't do it. Just can't do it. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, yes. All yes. right. So
1: here we go. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I do apologize that some of these I didn't write who asked them. I wanted to include that so you can blame me for that. Um so one of the things we talked about in the show overall is that you are passionately Focused on the three act structure, you think that it's an important element to telling certain types of stories. Mm-hmm. So the question here is: how does this translate to a campaign versus this being a one shot? So a one shot makes sense. You've got you know the setup, the trouble, and then the conclusion. But if you're going to have a four or five, six episode series, or again, a campaign that may last years, how do you work the three act structure into a longer story?
0: Uh, and that's that's a really good question, and I immediately wanted to answer the question about my belief in the 3X structure theory, so we'll just save that for whenever it comes up again. So okay. as far as directly to the question asked, it, it's, it's an interesting thing to understand and, and to play with. Um, the 3X structure uh, within a tabletop game to me uh plays out a lot slower than what you would normally experience in other forms of media plays out slower than what you would experience in a, in a television show and a movie or in a podcast uh we we got through it honestly really quickly in a 5 hour time frame um my typical when i'm running a game for like a home group you know a, a standard standard if there is a standard tabletop way to play uh what i'm looking for is i pretty much run a three act structure typically in about four to six play sessions, so anywhere from 16 to 24 hours-ish of playtime, is how long it typically takes me to run through a three-act structure. And then how I do a campaign, it's funny you should ask because we get to see this live whenever uh, I I come back for part two of the GM Masterclass, is I do it exactly like what we did with this L5R series, which was the first series was a three-act structure story. Then... It was done. It was complete. There was threads that we could go forward, or we could stop there. And we decided to continue and go forward with it with the L5R series, and we did part two, which is another three-act structure story. And there's threads that could go forward, and maybe, who knows, if the podcast gods line themselves <laughs> just right, a part three might show up at some point in time. Uh, but that's how I do it for a campaign. I don't try and take a three-act structure and go, I am going to run this over 30 play sessions, because the problem that you're going to run into is people have a very subconscious understanding of story and how story structure works. And the reason we have that is because we're bombarded with it all the time. Every movie, every TV show, every novel, everything that you've ever read, every bit of internet Entertainment you've ever engaged with, good entertainment, has some sort of narrative structure to it. Um, so you understand kind of what to expect. And one of the big things that people expect, and this should be a surprise to no one, is a finale. They want that finale moment, they want that release of tension, they want that the the end of the duel from this series. It's like, yes, we did the thing. Yes. Ah, it's good, and we're done. And we get that sense of finale, and that re-energizes narrative, and it re-energizes the listeners who are also the story creators in Tabletop uh, for the next portion of it. If you do not allow that moment to happen, at some point the mind just becomes exhausted, and it's just, okay, it's more information, I get it, the lich is bad, I just want to kill him. Um, and if you do try and stretch out the three act structure too long, you don't get that, that sense of finale, that sense of, of accomplishment to it. So again, my, my core advice for, for running a three act structure in a campaign style play is you run multiple three act structures that connect to each other. And my personal preference, again, you can do them fast. You can do them slow. Uh, but my personal preference is I go at a home game for about every four to six play sessions.
1: Yeah. And I think trying to decipher that into Michael speak because I need when he Caleb, because then Caleb can translate it from <laughs> into human speech um, is that you can still follow the three act structure within an ongoing game for particular uh, like arcs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're in a game and then you introduce a new complication. The Lich has arisen, blah, blah, blah. There could be a three-act structure within dealing with the Lich. The Lich is now dead. Campaign's not over. Right. So now there's a new complication. It could be the power vacuum created by the Lich being destroyed. Could be have nothing to do with that whatsoever. It's a new enemy rising in the West or army coming across the sea or whatever. Or it could be a smaller personal story about, you know, one of your siblings died in the game and you have to go to the funeral. Those types of things. Uh, So you just kind of – you do multiple three-act structures. And I think you could get – I don't get too complex, but you could have them interweave in a way where you might have like a setup and then like two middle parts because two stories are com- combining or commingling and then have separate resolutions that just kind of crisscross together. Whether that's done on purpose or because your players just don't follow what you think they'll do, <laughs> that could be an interesting and complex story to tell.
0: Yeah, and and just to to give one other piece of, of advice uh, in that regards, too, um, and the, uh, maybe advice, maybe personal preference, um, I try not to plan out my arcs in advance uh, in that I plan out the arc that we're going to do. And then I want to see how it progresses. I want to see how ultimately that resolves. Uh, as we talked about for those that, that listen to and follow through the GM Masterclass series, we know, uh, when we started, when we sat down at the table to play, um, Michael, your character's daughter was not, uh, daughter, sister. sister was not a character that existed in the world. That happened about an hour and a half into it when I needed a lever to pull. Um, Again, she just didn't exist, and yet the entire next arc is predicated on that. So what I do is I look at, okay, we we did the arc, we did my four to six play sessions, whatever the case may be. I did my three-act structure, and then I go, okay, what were the players most engaged with that wasn't resolved? That's my hook for the next one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I try never to resolve everything because stories don't end. They just always perpetuate themselves forward. That's what what Vince McMahon in the WWE has taught me, right? (laughs) Always forward. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, So New York Tater asked, uh, not including podcast situations, Mm -hmm. but just, quote-unquote regular games. Regular games. What is your average play session? When your group gets together, are you playing for two hours, for eight hours?
0: I, I like four hours. I really like four hours, and I guess it's kind of the de facto standard. I don't know that everyone talks about it like it is, but the reason I like four hours is because there's there's a certain rise and fall of attention that happens within a group, and four hours, for me and my experience, seems to be good because people kind of get like the first 30 minutes. You're getting in. You're getting settled in. You're, you're, you're eating your chips. You're you're drinking water. Um, You're doing whatever it is that you're doing. uh, And you're still kind of joking around and you're not fully in in world. You're not in the magic circle yet, as we call it. And then we get in the magic circle. And then that's when that's when the good that's when the good role play starts happening. And people start getting involved. They start getting engaged with it. and You start to feel it. And then there becomes this mid session lull. Just as energy goes down a little bit, uh, typically, and I I plan a lot for that lull. I want to see it happen, and then people will pick back up sort of for an end-of-session finale as the energy comes back with whatever dramatic things that are happening. So I found that uh I like the four-hour session because I sort of hit that pattern more often than I don't hit that pattern, and it's a very predictable good pattern that seems to occur. Uh So I like it for that. Uh Typically, I've found sometimes if I cut it off shorter than that, all of a sudden we get down in that lull valley, and then we just stop, and it's like – yeah. Um. So that's that's a lot of really crazy high level advice for how long do you play a game? Uh, I suppose, but that is the, my rationale. And again, my typical is a a four hour when I'm playing. I'm going to say a traditional role playing game with reference to, of course, ch- cheap plug. Reflections was the game <laughs> that designed that plays in an hour, which is its own thing.
1: So I think, um, again, Michael speak for that is you want to leave, not wanting to leave, right? Or does or, well, George Costanza always leave them wanting more? Yep. You want to leave in a part where people are like, oh, no, I I Mm -hmm. want to know that they want to come back next session. So you need to have enough time to get to that. And if you're playing a game that has a lot of role play, you need some flexibility because this section might take longer. That section may not take as long. Uh, I'm the same way, like at this point, I usually play about four hours, but we actually get about three actual Mm -hmm. playing hours in because we're goofing around and, you know, that kind of good stuff. And that works well for me in my current lifestyle with the wife and the kids and the job and blah, 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 blah. Uh, It's also easy for me to prep in that time frame because I'm very light prep. I I do almost no prep these days. (laughs) I do prep beforehand, but not before each game. It's a long story. Uh, But I can usually just make stuff up for about three hours. And then I start getting to the point where like, okay, before I make any other big decisions, I need to think about what happened so that I can make sure it all makes sense and connect it together. So for me it's about three three to four hours now in my youth. We'd play 16, 18 hours. We'd basically fall asleep, wake back up, steep keep playing, <laughs> go to Taco Bell, come back, keep playing. See can't I can't do that.
0: I miss those cause well, I shouldn't say I miss those. I miss that I missed those. Um because I didn't get into tabletop until I was twenty one. Um so and at that point, like I've I've been an old man since pretty much the day I was born. Um that's all <laughs> I actually wanted to be when I grew up was I always wanted to be an old man. Uh but uh congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> but I You've never, achieved the dream. I never got to do those with the exception of, oh, this is a joke I'm going to tell. Okay, this is a good one. Um, Because we we do this thing now every year. Uh, this is this year, the second year we do it. We actually just did it last weekend. Uh, we call it a cabin con, which you're going to recognize this aside from the fact that it's a ripoff of a catacon. Yeah. But w- I feel like it started when me and you had a conversation about this that we were going to do a rogue a catacomb and just rent a cabin out and do... Ike cabin con yeah. and me and my friends now do that where we just go for a weekend and we do one continuous story just all weekend, all night, all day. Uh, first year we did Shadow of the Demon Lord. This year we actually did D and D Fourth Edition because oh. we were like, oh, we could get like at least three combats in, because yeah, exactly. we have a whole weekend. You got the whole weekend.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that just it sounds so good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know that I would want to do the one whole story because we do our faculty retreat, yeah. which is coming up in two weeks. I'm very excited about that, and it's basically just a small. You know, gamers weekend just for the people associated right. with the podcast. But it's great just to be sort of like secluded because I actually drive for that one. We drive like yeah. five hours away. I don't really, I don't know anybody other than the people I'm there with. We have food ordered in, and we just play games. Yeah. And as long as you can sit until your butt hurts and you stand up, walk <laughs> around, and you come back and play some more. Uh, But yeah, uh, I, good times. I, I I don't have the stamina to do that anymore. A lot like it would just drive right. me. I'll be gray haired. <laughs> Uh, all right, what
0: else we got, Mike? All right, so
1: we got another question here. And again, for anyone who's in chat, please, we we want to take live questions. So if you have a question about the uh, GM Masterclass, the l have our system or the game we played session, I should say, or just anything GM-related or even facial hair-related, feel free to ask. We'll do our best to address it. Um, so this was an interesting question. I think this came from Tanner, who's actually uh, Shadow of the Cabal podcast. He's uh, in the network.
0: Got a funny story about that one, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the things about the L five R setting is it's a it's a fantasy version, it's a romanticized version of Asian culture, mm-hmm. and typically Asian culture isn't necessarily pro-feminine, mm-hmm. but within the L five R it is. You can have you know females of power. I think in our game, the fe- the Empress was a female, um, but Tanner noticed that there weren't any prominent female NPCs, year, other than my sister, who again really was used as a tool. So was that a conscious decision, or was it was it a sort of this didn't come up situation or like, so why were there no women in this game that were important?
0: That is a very legitimate question to ask. And it is, uh, okay. Every, every everyone listening, bear with me here for a moment. Okay. <laughs> Drink um, <for> water. Um, <laughs> I'm also,
1: it's not, have my, uh, princess pony.
0: It's my little pony, my little pony. And and you've got Pinkie pie on the front who is the correct one. Cause Pinkie pie, best pony.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Uh,
0: yes. we're, we're learning more and more about Jim. So, yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of, of wonderful reveals that are about to have, um, so, I, uh, a little bit about me and a little bit about the situation to explain why this was the way it was. And as we, we talked about throughout this whole series, we're going to be as open and honest. Yep. This, this is the time. There's okay? no
1: point in doing it if we're not going to be honest.
0: Exactly. Uh, so this was the first ever real podcast that I had done, uh, other than this little bit of stuff with this other group called the RPG Academy. I had done, Almost nothing in the public view for it. So this was kind of the first thing like that I had, I had ever done. And I, I knew I listened to one shot. Uh, and I knew, you know, based on listening to them, obviously the, the political beliefs and, and the beliefs that, that they uphold for it. Um, a, a secret about Jim McClure perhaps is that I do not have the same political affiliations as probably the majority of people listening to this. Um, I have. It's been interesting, actually, over the last three years, sort of meeting them and then getting more involved with the space and, and learning, uh, more about, about gaming culture in the community and the people within the community. And I knew that things like, as weird as this is to say, you we're be open and honest here, uh, things like gender equality, things like racial equality were things that were important to be displayed. Uh, and I have always, I've always believed that. Um, but I didn't know. What, how to do it? I didn't know what the, the rules are. There aren't rules, but I didn't know what was appropriate and what wasn't appropriate. Originally in the game, um, actually, uh, the, the, the weak crab, uh, who was, who was tainted on the, uh, that was originally supposed to be a female. Likewise, the, the crab samurai who confronted James about, um, uh, who headed the Sadane game, uh, that was supposed to be a female, um, in the, the original plan of it. And I I guess I'm going to say I chickened out about an hour before because I literally went, I go, I don't know if it's going to be inappropriate for me as a white male to come on and represent females. I legitimately didn't know. And I was like, I'm just not going to touch it because I don't know where that line gets drawn. Uh, looking back at three year past Jim, I realize how silly that is. Um, and now I have, I have evolved and developed, uh, my beliefs in that regard, um, and understand. And of course, you see in the second series, obviously the, uh, the Imperial who was there, uh, mild spoilers, uh, who, who sort of presides over part of the trial. Um, you know, that's, we have several strong, prominent female characters. Uh, and then of course, obviously in this original game, Kat was supposed to be part of it. And presumably, I believe she was going to play a female character. Um, but that's that's the reason is it was originally planned um you know i I kind of look at characters and and feel uh you know as far as what seems appropriate to the character on it and again, there were supposed to be a couple in there, and in about an hour before I went. I don't know what the rules are because this is my first stepping into this environment. I'm just not going to tread on them. And again, looking back at three-year-old Jim, I went, that's the exact wrong thing to do, but that was the reason.
1: But I can, again, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but I can totally understand that with someone who also, you know, we have a podcast that promotes inclusivity. We Mm -hmm. want anyone and everyone to play games, but just by the way it's worked, almost everyone in the RPG Academy core, white dudes. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, like we want, to represent. We also don't want to do it in a way that like is not the intent. Mm -hmm. So we do it poorly and then we end up doing worse than if we had done nothing. So I get that. Like, you know, my, my game is I, I try as often as possible to have females in, you know, interesting positions of power. I'm not good at voices. So I just use my voice and I say it's a girl or it's a dude or it's whatever. Uh, But yeah, like if you're trying too hard, I could see where that would be. You got enough on your plate. So, Fair yeah. question by Tanner. Absolutely. It's a legitimate question, but I also think that's a legitimate answer to Absolutely. what's going on. All right. Uh, so once again, to anyone in chat, if you have any questions, please throw them out. Otherwise, we'll just keep going through the ones that we have already. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so this one comes from Calum, who's on the Released podcast, which is also a member of the RPG Academy Network. Uh, and he says that uh, he feels that the GM Masterclass is a show more relevant to advanced game masters which is fine because there's so much of the information out there aimed at new players Mm -hmm. and new GMs. Um, But his question is, do you remember a specific game or session where in hindsight was sort of the aha moment of I've leveled up? Like I am now an advanced GM or maybe even not that little, but just like you felt my skills have improved.
0: Let me tell you the story of a Gashifuna okay. um, <laughs> uh, I do. I mean, the long and short is I I do have that moment. I will say it wasn't a... It wasn't a hindsight moment to me. I kind of recognized the moment when it happened. And, and God, I'm going to hate telling this story because it sounds like it's just going to sound like I'm patting myself on the back for it. But this question set me up for it. So you get it. Sorry. I'll,
1: I'll throw you a softball. It's it, your it, job
0: to hit it. <laughs> it's, it, it's a gaming story. So this was my home L5R group. Um, and essentially there was a moment where. <laughs> i my my first ever game that I ran was it was a d and d fourth edition game, and oh I did i mean everything wrong everything wrong. everything yeah. wrong like you can pretty much cause the first combat encounter was a whole bunch of high powerful things that are way more powerful than the players because they 're supposed to lose the match just everything yeah. wrong right um so this was the first one where like the game was going really well, and I was building towards a thing, and I I completely succeeded in hitting the exact moment that, that I wanted, and it, it's one of my most crystallized gaming moments is I built the villain of villains, Funakoshi. He was a... a- <laughs> Avoid Shugenja for those familiar with it, with the L5R setting. Uh, and the the first, oh, another just as a GM advice, you wanna, you wanna make someone a villain? Oh, just arbitrarily mildly inconvenience the party. (laughs) Because the first thing that he did, which immediately made the party hate them, he was traveling with them, is they were marching to a forest. It was like a week long march. And the second day he was like, I'm tired, we stop now. And it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. These are arbitrary numbers that we're just throwing out in an arbitrary march. And they were seething angry at him just because he was lazy and didn't feel like continuing. Uh, and it just built up well from there. It got silly at times. He uh, he, he had a face-changing spell, um, and he ended up being disguised as one of the main characters. Uh, love interest, who he thought had died years prior to that, who had actually died years prior to that, they ended up getting married uh, in a forced marriage situation where I was sweating bullets going, they're marrying the bad guy. They are <laughs> <laughs> Literally, unknowingly marrying the bad guy. Um, but anyway, we, we got to, I don't need to go in too much longer. They got to the point where they realized he was the bad guy. He was causing all this crazy apocalyptic stuff. He was going to destroy the Celestial Dragon. It was a huge, insane plot. And they finally cornered him. And, uh, they, they, uh, were, were ready to attack and they were done with his nonsense and ready to kill him. So, uh, our, our big warrior dude, uh, who was, Greg was playing. He first combat round, uh, he, he shoots like two beams of light and separates off the three players. So they're each in like their own little column. And uh, Greg attacks, massive damage rolls, 70-plus damage on his, his double hits, just totally tears him apart. And what's happening is I'm only communicating with the other two players via note card, okay? Uh, and they are seeing that Greg, essentially he's under the the control of a, it's just an illusion spell, that he got off his horse, he walked, and his horse was a big part of the story. He walked halfway to Funakoshi, he turned around, walked back to his horse, and all the attack rolls were on the horse. And he finally realized, like, they were jumping and trying to stop him. He was seeing shadow forms, was just trying to knock them off. Eventually, he gets them off, realizes something's wrong, on a roll, success, breaks the spell, sees what he's done. And it was that, that moment where he went, is, and the horse's name is Apple, is Apple dead? And I went, how much damage did you roll? And he went, 70, whatever it was. And I go, how much HP does it have? And at that point, Agasha was gone. And there was... 30 seconds of just silence at the table and when they went up and finally got to kill him in the next scene was just it was it was the moment I had built a villain to this day they spit on the ground when we say Gashi and it was what I had intended to do and we got there and we hit it perfectly and it was an incredibly emotional experience that was the moment where I was like okay I think what I am doing and the principles that I'm working with work to tell interesting good stories within the context of tabletop so that's my my long winded table story for you all
1: excuse me so I don't have a, a clear-cut answer for this myself, but I think what I would say is, because I've been running games for a very long time, but they were pretty bad for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was 12 when I started. But, right, you know, right. And then I, I gamed all through high school and through college, but those were always still pretty much with the same people. And, you know, they I I can tell interesting stories. And I think I can create interesting characters and interesting situations, but I did a lot of things wrong. I did a lot of things that I would now say don't do, taking players' agency, you know, forcing them into situations just so I could get my effect, not what they want, yada yada yada. But there was enough interesting things happening but the, the players are still, you know, on board with it, mm-hmm. right? And it was when we started the podcast and we started doing the Made Men mm-hmm. campaign, which was our first ever campaign that we ran for the show. And, you know, our show you know, it started off way most shows do, but when we got to the point where we started doing the actual plays, when we started getting an audience, so I became acutely aware that people were listening to the game. So I started thinking, like, I need to make this game fun for the audience.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Here's a high level trick for you: a game that's fun for the audience, also fun for the players.
0: <laughs> Funny how that works. And vice versa: if it's right. fun for
1: the players, it'll be fun for the audience. So I, you know, I, I made it. I focus more on just making it fun and more interesting and engaging. I wanted the characters to role play more. So I gave them a lot more opportunities to just talk to each other. And then I would build off of what they said. And then combined with that, that uh, I started recording the sessions, So I was editing and I kept hearing myself. I I listened to myself run games over and over and over again. And I started to pick up on things that I did that I didn't like things I did that I thought were good and just, they became more top of mind. I was like, okay, I I remember I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So I wouldn't do it as much. And then the things that I wanted to do, I would focus on more. And then the third thing would be just I also got exposed to a lot more GM because I never went to conventions before. So the only people I ever played with were my group. I ran 90% of the time. Every now and then, like, one other person would run. So I started going to conventions, and, you know, I had dozens of people running games, started listening to podcasts, and had dozens of people I was listening to run the games. And I just started absorbing everything that I thought was good. And uh, I think that made men, like, near the end of that game – everyone just was so invested in that story Mm -hmm. and they were so excited about where it was going and there was some weird stuff and time travel and blah 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 but the the players really seemed to love it the audience really seemed to like it and i felt like i'm pretty good at this
0: there you go there we go there you go all
1: right so we had a question on the chat here from moldy Mm noyles god i can't say that which i believe is jacob uh part of the redemption podcast crew and he was asking do we have any tips or tricks for descriptive narration in session before a session and after a session, I always try to keep in the phrase, you know, be more descriptive. But in the game, it seems like I'll lose that. Hmm.
0: Um, okay. So there, there's some interesting, um, I it, I assume it sounds like the question is essentially how to get, get if you're a GM, how to get your players to be more descriptive. Or is the question more, as a GM, how to be more descriptive?
1: I read that as, as the GM when you're describing, you know, like you walk okay. into a room like you know, using multiple senses and just painting a good picture so the players and characters can kind of feel and see what's going on around them.
0: Yeah, um, the the I I am such a big proponent of uh, uh, Stephen King in his book on writing. He actually talks about this as far as writing, essentially setting a scene uh, for for a person. And and this is pretty much how how I I look at it. Which is um, when I'm setting a scene for someone, what I want to describe is the three things that are most relevant to them at that moment. And I th- I think if I can't remember now if this was Stephen King's example or someone else's example off of Stephen King's on writing and you read enough of these and you start forgetting what was what, but they describe it of okay, you have a your main character walks into someone's living room uh to sit down and have a talk about uh to let them know that their brother died. What are the first 3 things that they notice in that? Now, that same person walks into that living room because he's chasing someone to try and kill him. What are the three things he notices in that situation? Because they're going to be entirely different things. You know, when we're walking sit down, I'm gonna notice how fluffy the the, the sofa is, I'm gonna notice the sectional, I'm going to notice the uh, disheveled papers that that are sitting there. When I am running through chasing someone, I'm going to notice the glass doors that are on the back. I'm going to notice the low ceilings. I'm gonna notice these different things. Uh so one of the big things that I try to think about is is staying in that mindset of the players of what are they in here to interact with? I I almost don't have a need to provide them factual statistical data of there is a bookshelf behind you that has 23 assorted board games on it, you know, what is relevant? Okay, if they're doing an investigation and we're... Playing Satanic Panic because it's the night of cheap plugs, apparently. <laughs> uh, and they're looking for, you know, e- evil table toppers. 23 board games is now suddenly super relevant. Uh, if, if we are playing, you know, something entirely different and they are coming in here, you know, because they're again, looking to kill someone, they don't probably care that he's got a couple board games on the shelf. Uh, so one of my big advice is, is pay attention to that. And if you describe the three things that are most relevant to the players in that situation, a lot of times that will give them the information they need to do the action they're trying to do. All
1: right. Uh, so from that same book, which is also my favorite book on writing, uh, yes. which is called On Writing, and I've read a lot of books on writing, um, less is more.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That especially in an in RPG, we have a shared imagination. And if I say, okay, you're, you know, you're walking into the tavern, and it's a busy night, and there's bustling around, and there's a boisterous dwarf in the corner who's gambling and throwing dice, whatever – you kind of already have an idea of the other things you have played D and D before you've watched fantasy movies or read fantasy novels. So as long as I don't say something that's counter to what you're already picturing, it doesn't matter if we see the same things mm-hmm, or not. Mm-hmm. So I like to use less descriptions and just rely on my players to fill in that themselves. And then again, I'm a very improv heavy GM. So if one of them says, well, I'm going to go jump up on the stage in the middle of the, the tavern well, there might not have been a stage in all the little tavern when I, in my head, but there is now because right. that doesn't change anything. Right. So if they think that's what it looks like, then it does, and we just roll with it. Um, and then the other thing, I'm gonna, I, I had it and it's gone. Oh God, what was I going to say? Um, Oh, I use uh, short verbal, like, uh, shortcuts, like movie, mm-hmm. like movie language. You know, mm-hmm. this, the camera follows this person. You have the art, you know, the swipes and the cuts. So I use familiar language. Like, it looks just like Winterfell, but with half works.
0: Right. Yep. You
1: know exactly what that looks like if yep. you've watched Game of Thrones. And if you haven't, why are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> uh, so don't be afraid to take shortcuts with language and shared experiences. You know, it's just like the scene in Lord of the Rings when, you know, Bilbo's talking to Gollum. It's in that cave with the dripping water and the stalactites. Right now, I can see in my mind nope. that that scene. That's all I got to describe. I don't need to describe. This is the fish floating in the water, or the you know the slippery rocks behind you. You already filled that in. So as long as I don't invalidate that. Then I don't need I don't need to give you everything. Just need to give you enough.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Um. The yeah. And uh, I I heard it put once of uh you know I'm I'm trying to to uh put a picture in your mind. I'm not trying to put my picture into your mind. You're trying to inspire them and inspire the imagination for them to see it. Now, obviously, if something is core relevant, you know, okay, yeah, that big bad guy you've been chasing for six months, he's sitting at the table in the corner. That's pretty relevant. Needs to to, to be addressed to it. But beyond that, the little stuff allow the imagination to run wild the reality is that if your bar is broken into three rooms or two rooms probably doesn't matter. And in my mind, for some reason, the bar is always this stone exterior thing and it has one room off to the right. Every bar I've ever been in, that's been my picture until I've been told otherwise. And here's the clue half the time I've been told otherwise, I'm still picturing that same bar. Yeah. Uh, until it comes time to I want to burn it down or some nonsense. Exactly. Right. Um but yeah, it, it's putting putting a picture into their mind.
1: So and I would I would further clarify because this is one area that I still struggle with a lot too is when When you're in combat, Mm -hmm. trying to describe combat actions, because in a lot of my games, the first few rounds, very descriptive. When we get kind of past that point, it's like, did you hit? Okay, did you hit? Okay, they're dead. <laughs> so the longer it goes, the less descriptive I am mm-hmm. likely to be. So, do you have any tips and tricks for combat specifically? C-
0: combat is is a little bit more difficult, um, and I seem to remember talking about podcast or combat on this series and having a retort written, but um, <laughs> that's a different story. the The thing about combat is is once you get into many many rounds of combat, you are you are ending up in a situation where their further description isn't helping. And that's why description peters out. It's a, okay, I'm in combat. I jump over the flaming cart and I swing and hit the guy with the sword. And Yeah, I took out 40% of his health or whatever it is. And then the next swing, I take another 40% of his health. And, and now I guess I'm swinging again. And that one, that one missed. Uh, now just, okay. And he's dead. Um, and so it becomes a little bit more naturally difficult because you're essentially retrying to describe the same thing, which is in a tense moment i try to resolve this tension with steel that's what you're doing Mm -hmm. to then go okay next round i am in a tense moment i'm going to try and resolve this tension with steel i'm in a tense moment and steel trying to (laughs) resolve it Uh, steel steel to resolve like missed exactly missed Missed. you're dead and that's where you end up at so to me the big thing that keeps it interesting is uh, there's a couple little things you can do <clears throat> Excuse me. One, uh, I almost always do this. You didn't hear it in the podcast, but in home games and most games I'm running, uh, I always, players hear me say this all the time. Describe your kill. Um, anytime someone kills, it's a very simple thing to just throw it at them. They get to describe themselves as in a cool heroic moment of like, oh yeah, I did this and they, you know, I, I, I cut him across the throat and he falls down and I stab him down into the ground, you know, through his heart or whatever the case is. Uh, so that gives a little thing. The other thing that I really try and do, which, uh, is more of, of combat design than anything else, is I try to make the combat, if you make the combat more about... More than about just killing everything in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the situation that I use is, okay, we, we have a, that's right. I like to flip this. Okay. So we have a princess attacking a town to try and kidnap a dragon. Okay. Um, so what happens is the princess is giant. She's 50 feet tall. She's a fire breathing princess and she's coming to just wreck everything. Um, and you are trying to save the dragon from getting, getting kidnapped by the princess. If you directly fight the princess, you're probably going to die because the princess is like four levels higher than you uh, and breathe fire and it's a solo monster um I've, I've reskinned a dragon as a princess right uh, so anyway uh so what happens is we have a combat encounter where now it's a part do I do I fight the princess do I try and save the dragon meanwhile towns uh, the, the town around them is crumbling as the princess is stomping around and destroying everything so the innkeeper that I was you know had uh had a wonderful picnic with his daughter suddenly he's trapped below flaming rubble and also you know the Pirates have attacked that same part in the town because this is apparently a crazy town. Now all of a sudden I have a combat encounter that is not about killing all of the things in front of me. It's about interacting with different pieces of a story that's going on, and that lends itself better to sort of continued description because now I get to jump off a rooftop and 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 attack the princess. Mm -hmm. I get to dive under, you know, flaming rubble to save the shopkeeper. I get to do these different things which ignite the imagination in different ways. So one of the biggest ways that I found to do it sort of ties into a bigger discussion about encounter design, but it's going... If everything you're doing is just I swing and I hit, that is naturally going to peter out over multiple rounds. There's really no way to get around it. So try and do stuff to make it more engaging and dynamic.
1: Okay. Um, so what I would add in there, uh, and I'm this is talking about D&D specifically. Sure, I'm yeah. sure it's relevant to other games as well. But one of the things that is sort of a pet peeve for me mm-hmm. is trying to explain to people what hit points are and what they're not and what armor class is and what it's not. They are abstract representations. Mm-hmm. Once you understand that fully, it's one thing to say I get it, but it's another thing to understand fully, I believe. You can start to describe combats in a much more interesting way because a hit means that you did damage. Doesn't mean you actually hit them. Mm -hmm. So you could describe a hit as I swing my sword, but they duck. But when I hit the wall, it causes something to fall over and a pot falls on their head. The math says you take four damage. Right. My narration can make that whatever I Mm -hmm, want it to be. mm -hmm. As long as you don't get like stupid crazy, like Spider Man shows up and shoots you with a weapon. Okay. (laughs) But, you know, and then a miss can actually be a hit where I hit you, but I just didn't do any damage. Mm -hmm. You know, you were able to block it with your shield or you parried it or, you know, the the sword stuck in your armor, but it just didn't penetrate. And all that makes it interesting, you know, and you dance around the narration. But at the end of the day, a hit means something happened. Make it look however you want. A miss means. Something happened. happened. Describe it however you want. And I think it makes it a little bit easier to be descriptive. Because when you start going, oh, you did eight damage, you cut the goblin's neck and there's blood squirting out. Well, how many times can you do that before the goblin's dead? But if you hit the goblin and all you did was, you know, you caused him to to twist its ankle as it dodged away. Hey, that twisted ankle is four points of damage. It doesn't matter.
0: Exactly. And and, uh, to uh, feed off of that and and what I said on it, how many times can you describe cutting x creature and blood coming out of x part of creature and it would still be interesting
1: i know one of the times this really hit home for me we were playing star wars uh they have minion rules Mm -hmm. and i had rolled in something in a way that the way minions work is you do like every minion has four hit points so every four hit points you take out more than one minion and i had managed to take out two minions Mm -hmm. and the gm said well how did you manage to do that and i was like well i shot that one in the leg and he fell down and his gun went off and hit the other one it doesn't matter yep. all that matters is two minions were gone and yep. i had so much fun describing that more than i just shot him twice you know i shot him and then i shot him that's boring so i don't know um so then uh, jacob follows up are you fans of asking your players to provide scene details to add into the atmosphere if you feel a little bit more is needed so rely on your players at the table
0: uh, oh, this is interesting because, uh, the, the, I have two different answers, which is yes and no. Okay. Um,
1: <laughs> I'll take the yes. You take the no. Uh,
0: okay. So my, my no is because again, we just did the GM class and we talked a little bit about this in, in one episode, which is, um, the part and this is this is not i'm going to specify this very clearly this is not gm advice this is a jim mcclure style thing this isn't something that i say is good as a natural thing but this is part of how i typically run games which is i have a lot of thought that goes into even the small details of games we talked about this at the beginning where you all were placed where you were giving sleeping arrangements mattered as far as setting a theme that was a through line to an ending duel if I just go, oh, where are your sleeping arrangements? I'm losing that bit of narrative control. But to do that, it means you are running a super, super tight narrative game. And again, I'm not advocating for that. That's just generally in games like what we did with the GM Masterclass. Those are the type games that I run. So in some aspects, I like to have a lot of control over that. Because I can do those little things. However, there are many, many times when I feel like it is completely fine and is a very, very good thing to allow the players to have that sort of buy-in. And because you said you'd take yes, I'll, I'll pass it back to you for yes. that.
1: I am a huge fan of this. I totally rely on my players a lot for these types of things. Uh, but what I would say, especially if you're new at it, is as I say, you put a box around it. Mm-hmm. You're only given the, the ability to create narratively things that cannot affect your game drastically Mm -hmm. i don't care what the name of this tavern is that is not going to change my story i don't care if the bartender is a human an orc a half elf whatever that's not going to affect my story you know in this particular case it could in another case sure like if there are no half orcs but but for the most part i'm only going to say hey jim tell me about this village that we are walking into if no matter what you say it doesn't affect what I what what I'm trying to do So I put a little box around it. you can't Go outside the it you can't go outside the lines But you have all the freedom within that And I one little trick I like To say is sometimes I'll say instead of Saying Jim I'll ask your character so Uthar what do you know about This village mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Then if you say something that I don't like well, that was a rumor. You were wrong.
0: <laughs>
1: you had heard that there was a Demi Lich who secretly ran the Thieves' Guild here, but that was just a rumor they created because they didn't want people to steal their stuff.
0: That's a good trick. So it's a little trick. It's you know, a like, trick. Oh,
1: nope. That's what you thought happened, but you were wrong.
0: But uh, great question. Great question.
1: Yes, uh, I really like that. And uh, until we get some more, we will move on. Yeah, we got pl- our...
0: plenty still of the, the other questions. Um, and yeah. as, as we figured, yes, long-winded. Yes. <laughs>
1: So this was a question, and I'm not going to say the other questions weren't good, but I particularly liked this one. Uh, you discussed that you had us arrive at the scene separately. So mm-hmm. the two crab on one side of the village, we were welcomed uh, pretty you know, open arms. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, – was it Phoenix? No. Uh, dragon. Dragon. I don't know why I said that. The dragon samurai was on the other side of town, did not get a warm reception. And you did that on purpose. So, there was a specific reason why. Mm-hmm. You were trying to establish there's like a power differential. If you didn't want to do that, if mm-hmm. you were wanting us to be united, but we didn't start as a group, like mm-hmm. you didn't say you're all three know each other forever. Now you're friends. But if you still want us to come together, how would you have done that differently?
0: Uh, yeah, and, and we, we kind of see it in, in this L5R game if I would have done it a little bit differently. And as, as you describe, Michael, exactly, I, I did it intentionally for the opposite effect because, again, as we talked about, the plan was it was going to be a PvP duel at the end of this, and that's what I was trying to build towards, uh, which again, did, did not end up happening because you all came together too well as a group. Yes. Uh, <laughs> as it turned out. As it turned out. Uh, or just hated Daigotu Jin that much. Um, but it, it's, uh if you want to get people working together as a group um you know the, the this isn't this isn't rocket science you you may have heard this before but the the number one thing to do is give them a shared goal that is the absolute number one thing to get people working together as a team in this case you know uh again you all had a shared goal and you all worked very well together as a team because it was a hey we have to come in and deliver a fair judgment in a tense political situation Immediately, the three of you all went, I don't want to say in lockstep with each other because there were some some moments of difference, but it was a, we are a unit working together to make this happen. And, and having that basic core concept is so vitally important. My advice to people uh, as far as to get people to work together as a group is – Tell them what the core goal that all the players need to be doing before the first play session. You know, it's what we talked about before the L5R series. You all are going to investigate a land dispute. The three of you are going to make a judgment, uh, essentially for one clan or the other or whatever third crazy nonsense you try and come up with. Um, you know, that is your goal. That is your objective. And I, I am pretty strong on there's Absolutely nothing wrong with that. It is not railroading to say this game is about you all resolving a land dispute. That's what this game is about. Yeah. Uh, and I've I've once I actually once had a conversation because most of my games I do this. And it's, it's a good part of a session zero. It's this is what the game is about.
1: Ding. Take a drink. Session zero.
0: Yeah. Do not be scared as a GM to declare what your game is about. Um, you most certainly, as part of session zero, can like workshop with everyone. Like, right. hey, what kind of game are we interested in playing? Right. But I do very. Much hold to a come to a decision don't let that just find itself in session one because while it can work out fine uh, it also very much I've seen a lot of people who've run into this situation where it's like well this player has no interest on in going with them and avenging against the guard captain who is wronging us in jail they just wanted to go back to the forest and it's yeah because you all have no central goal that you want to do um so I'm I'm big on I I, I said this to one player once this was Jim and it, it is not as nicest uh, but it, the concept was essentially the Came together with a with a really crazy character concept uh, that was interested in doing something completely different than what the story was about, and I went, uh, I'll I'll make up a name. We'll say Chuck. Uh, I went, Chuck. I go, I love the character. I go. We need to set that character aside because that character has no interest in doing what this story is, and we need a character that is. Right. The advice I give mm-hmm. is your character gets to decide why they're interested in the main story, not if they're interested in the main story, uh, and that is one of the agreements that I get from my players, again, in a session zero is exactly when that time should be should be talked about to get everyone on that same page.
1: Yeah, I, um, you know, back in my youth when I first started playing games, it was kind of It's kind of like the trope, the cliche is that you meet in a tavern, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you're all in a tavern and the orcs attack and then you all band together and go fight the orcs and that starts how your great adventures. Uh, That gets really boring really quick (laughs) and it gets really difficult really quick if players have all these disparate goals and ideas that, you know, sure, if it works organically and it works, it's great. But it's hard to make it work. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get there. So I find it much easier to establish those guidelines ahead of time. Uh, at of time, I should say. I'm a big fan of the Bond from 5th Edition, which I think they stole from Dungeon World, yeah. where I do that. And, you know, we'll go around the table. Okay, Jim, how do you know Sarah's character? Sarah, how do you know Todd's character? Todd, how do you know Jeff's character? And we will establish at least some sort of chain where everybody has reason to like at least one other person in the group. And that doesn't mean you're friends. You can still argue. You can still have disagreements. You can still have conflict. But if one of you is captured by orcs, the other ones aren't going to go, oh, well, and then go to town. Right. They're going to be like, "That Todd's an a-hole, but he owes me 50 gold, so I will go rescue him to at least get my 50 gold that type of thing
0: exactly because as long as everyone's moving towards the same goal um and it's great to do it power it's one of honestly, i think one of the best things that power by apocalypse kind of brought into into prevalence uh within gaming is is those sort of early bond type things uh you know you you start asking those leading questions you know i, I like the ones that are like okay i read off my character sheet uh what what, what character uh saved you from a pit trap um now all of a sudden it's like, okay, we have to come up with the story where you actively saved me from a bad situation. Now we're connected. As we play the game, if we're all going towards the same goal, these things are going to naturally occur. We are naturally going to go, God, that agashi Funakoshi. You know what I you know why we're <laughs> friends? Because I hate him so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, or or the it's the enemy of my enemy. Exactly. No, the
1: enemy of yeah, the enemy of my enemy is my friend.
0: Um and and once once you all are moving in the right direction again, you're going to naturally have those connections those bonds and they're going to build stronger and stronger and stronger uh, to me the most important thing is just get everyone moving in the same direction with at least a common goal uh, and then let, let the rest play its course on it
1: all right very cool uh, so here's an interesting question and i i, I don't remember who asked this one uh, so apart from l5r and any of the rpgs that you yourself have designed what rpgs do you find lend themselves to your gming style
0: Uh, you, you did shoot me over this question before, and this is actually the question I had the hardest time coming up with an answer for. Um, this one really made me think, honestly, which I didn't think it would. At price value, I was like, oh, I can come up with a list of games, and I was like, I have to do a little bit of soul searching on this. Um... A lot of games don't lend themselves to my GM style. is is the the honest to goodness truth. Um, I well, constri- I just gave some love on Power by the Apocalypse games. Now I can give a little hate on them, right? We'll yeah. sp- spread it out a little bit. Um, I as, as you all probably noticed, for those that listen to the GM Masterclass series, you know, I I have a very interesting uh, GM style, which is I'm I run very narratively tight. Story structure games. Uh, that's what I enjoy, and that's what I enjoy running. And I need a system that will allow me to do that, that will encourage that kind of a buyback from the players, but will not get in the way of it. And Powered by the Apocalypse has a lot of uh, shared world-building concepts to it. Um, I think Powered by the Apocalypse is an amazing game at getting people invested and engaged in Act 1 of a story but it has problems progressing to act 2 and 3 because there's constantly tools for players to reset to act 1 and it's honestly the biggest which again is not a problem with the system it is a difference in the style of game i like to run and what power by the apocalypse does um so it's i i tell you the things that get in the way of my my gm style to say really the games that work best for me are the ones that don't get in the way of what i'm trying to do um and the ones that give a nice Rich lore filled world for people to engage with. And again, it's why L5R is my favorite. My second best, it's D and D. Um, you know, I really like, I honest to goodness, I love the fantasy genre. D and D does not get in the way of anything that I try and do. People understand the tropes. They connect with everything. You know, uh, it's, I really enjoy running Dungeons and Dragons and I run it very little seemingly, even though I I really enjoy it. So I very much appreciate that question because I kind of had to think really, really hard about it and realized that i i probably should have a better list of games that are good for my gm style as opposed to a a list of games that are not good for my gm style <laughs> try and keep it on the positive instead of the negative yeah so. absolutely
1: um do you typically excuse me typically i can read uh curate the types of people that you bring to your table for Ooh. a particular experience or do you shape the experience around the people who are at your table
0: uh yes to both is the answer to that and it depends entirely on the environment. Um uh I I I do a lot of running games for people for entertainment for them, for the players I'm going to say, which is to say if I go to conventions, I like to run games at a lot of conventions um, I run games a lot on podcasts uh, and a lot of times those games are much more geared towards the players that are at the table, which I'm going to show up I'm going to get as quick of a feeling as I can about what they're interested in, what type of games they like to do and I'm going to adapt to what they're doing uh, and I'm, I'm a big chameleon GM in, in that regard uh, However, and this is why I say yes to both, if it is a home game that I'm playing solely for my own enjoyment. Uh I a very highly curate within my friends who will play this type of game because I'm looking for a particular type of experience. Um Honestly, L5R is one of these games. I've gotten asked this question so many times. Uh For those that have, have followed me perhaps closely, you know, is I never run L5R at conventions because l5r is close to me when i run it i want to run a full-on style of game that i enjoy and i want to make sure that i've got the proper player buy-in and type for it i will only run l5r with people that i know um, unless
1: it's for a podcast
0: unless, well that was the the opening <laughs> moment right oh uh, you know to, to the, this whole series and i knew you all i just didn't know you all yet right exactly, um exactly. but uh, I mean, we were practically neighbors <laughs> we were that's still we've told that story numerous times now but uh yeah, um, um, you know so I for my if I'm running a game for my own personal enjoyment I do curate heavily the players that are gonna show up um, because my time is getting more and more sparse as I do things like still have a day job and a publishing company and designing games for other people and podcasts and these crazy shows and all of that uh, my time is sparse so if I'm playing a game solely for myself I want to truly enjoy it and there's a certain type of player that I enjoy playing with um, but if I am doing it out in public and I do a lot of games out in public uh and that i'm much more of a chameleon gm and adapting to what they're looking for
1: yeah i uh and, and i don't want this to sound derogatory at all but if you're going to go build a house and you only have so many materials you need to build a house that fits the materials you have mm-hmm. and i have a group of players that i play with they have their strengths and they have their weaknesses and i have my desires as a gm so when we play a game I pretty much know what I can and can't do with that group or I, I think I do. Mm. And I try to shape the game so that it, it, it enhances what they do well and minimizes what I don't think as a group they might do well or my shortcomings as a DM, that kind of thing. So absolutely, I curate to the table for my home game. But just like you when I run it in a convention, it's a little bit different, it's a sure. little bit more, you know, because I don't know who's going to be there. Right. And I'll just try to make it work as best I can. Uh, so uh, Jacob, also again, Moldy Nodes, asked... Uh, if you had seen this game before
0: blue rose
1: it is a romantic fantasy game i'm
0: thinking bluebeard's bride yeah. um,
1: this is this is a this version is based off of the fantasy age mechanics okay. essentially it is uh it's all about relationships like the whole game is about having really have you ever read uh, any of the mercedes lackey books
0: no you should they're okay.
1: well they're all the same, so I didn't okay. even one of them, <laughs> but I still really like them. But uh, yeah, basically, it's all about relationships and love and romance. It's romantic fantasy, I think is what it's actually called. Um, so this is probably a game that you might enjoy. The book is gorgeous, by the way. It looks it, it, beautiful. It, it's expensive, but you can who kill put, someone with Who it. put that book out? Uh, uh, Green Ronin.
0: Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. Uh no I I am not not familiar with with blue rose um I will I will be the first to say romance is not my genre um generally speaking I don't I don't know if if uh, uh that comes across wellers or not but I'm I'm not much of a a romance genre person uh which is a shame actually to myself because I do love like the interpersonal drama that is around romance is is such a good rich like role play situation for it um I just uh, uh, I don't know. I uh, do, do I have too much 15-year-old boy in me, maybe? I'm just like, ew, romance at a table. That could be taken weird. the wrong
1: way. <laughs> I am not going to comment on that.
0: You just did.
1: Uh, sort of. All right. Um, so someone mentions, uh, you know, I love Jim McClure's role-playing as story philosophy, and I want to improve my grasp on story structure. Hmm. Do you have any books that you would recommend I could read to sharpen my understanding? I have already read Hero with a Thousand Faces and am currently reading... 36 dramatic situations. So do you have any other reading lists or any other resources that someone who wants to get more confident with that type of storytelling.
0: Um I I want to point out reading uh uh, uh Thirty Six Dramatic Situations is a very, very good thing to read. I just want to really sort of uh second that as a good reading material. Essentially the concept is that uh, he posits at the time that he wrote it, um which was I think eighteen hundred something, I don't know. Um uh that there's only thirty six dramatic situations that every story is. Now, you most certainly can have a debate as far as whether or not that's true, just like you can have a debate as whether or not there's eight kinds of fun, which I'm a big proponent of. But the reality is it gives you a format. It gives you a understanding. It gives you a core understanding of here is, you know, story here is story structure here is at least a good chunk of it to get an understanding so i I would really encourage you you to read uh, and not just the individual 36 dramatic situations but Pulte's writing around that of uh essentially what uh his logic behind everything is a really good read um the other one that i I really highly encourage we actually coincidentally referenced it earlier on this on writing by Stephen King um That's amazing book. yeah and it, it is advice that carries over in any medium that you want to write it in. It it is just a, here is a book about how story works, um, and how to understand how to portray story. Now, again, it's it's heavily sort of skewed towards the novelization, because obviously it's Stephen King, and Stephen King's not known as the world's greatest dungeon master. He's known as a good author, uh, you know, so he didn't write about running tabletop, but um, that is kind of one of the big ones that I recommend. Um, The other thing that I do want to recommend to you, uh, because I learned, I'm going to say, a lot of my initial stuff, not by doing any any formal reading or understanding, but I, I did it with a little exercise, which I wanted to give people. Which isn't okay. yeah, it, it isn't isn't a huge thing, but my first I tell you, my first big discovery when i was like 8 or 9 years old okay is i was watching the um aladdin television show if anyone remembers the aladdin tv show uh based off of obviously the the famous movie um was actually a really good show or at least i remember it being a really good show uh but i discovered story structure through that i literally had this revelation as a child it was crazy i was like Oh, it always starts out, they introduce something that's bad, they go to fix it, it gets worse, and then they beat them. And all of a sudden, I started looking, I was like, wait, that's what happens in Scooby-Doo. And all of a sudden, my little eight, nine-year-old mind was blown, I was like this is how stories They've are. They've been lying to me this whole time. Burn it! all! I literally went, I know what's going to happen after the commercial break. Yeah. Like, clearly, this is where they have to then get another clue and then solve the thing, which obviously seems, I mean, it's cute and adorable now, but yeah. um, literally, it, it ruined entertainment for me for, well, several years. I mean, yeah. three to four years as a kid seems like forever. Uh, and then I watched a show called Gundam Wing and went, whoa, this just ruined all of my expectations. <laughs> I now love this thing forever. But, uh, so my my. Ex- exercise that i tell people is if you want to start understanding story structure um start watching especially some movies that you're familiar with uh movies are really good because they try and get through that structure pretty darn quickly and literally watch and go what is the next scene that's going to happen and then when it happens ask why did they have to do that scene and suddenly you'll just start seeing all of the dominoes fall into place of like Oh, here is the format. Here's where it goes. And you recognize how people set it up. And then you recognize how some of the you know, then once you get into the, the really, really great directors, uh, that's why I'm a fan of Tarantino, you watch how they make it familiar and yet subverted at the same time. Um, But that's one of the exercises I encourage you to do is just engage with the stories you regularly do and start going, wait, what is going to happen next? What is the logical thing that's going to happen next within a story progression?
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that as well. You know, if you just look at a show that you like and ask yourself, why am I watching this scene? Mm-hmm. What happens here that's important? And sometimes it's an action scene. Sometimes it's a character relationship scene. Sometimes it's like a mystery discovery scene. But all the scenes mean something because otherwise they would have been, one, they would have been written or they would have got cut out on, on the second draft or they would got cut out in editing because they weren't relevant yep so you're seeing what's important to the story and only what's important to the story yep uh so paget fish nope paget tish sorry uh asks not to get too focused on hindsight Mm -hmm. and i want to interject my my, michael here but i think it's important to reflect on past games for learning purposes do you think there's anything that you could have done differently to make daigotsu more sympathetic and actually get it Because we turned on him pretty quickly Mm -hmm. And despite some of your rest efforts We never really wavered too much If you had to do it over again Is there anything you would do differently To try to make it a little bit more equal In those two stacks
0: um i mean ultimately the the end of the day i I figured that one i i figured that obviously Daigosu Jin was going to be he's the one who's going to get fingered for being the evil one and i was I was okay with that um making making him less evil was i don't think ever a, a desire and ever a desire I would have wanted to do because to me the the sad bittersweet ending that I was originally going for is that someone was going to have to duel for him, and i didn't want them to really be necessary happy about it i wanted them to feel duty bound to do it and then when the duel turned to from first blood where you all thought where it was going to be to the death now it's a i've agreed to do this if i back out my reputation as a samurai i'm going to be kicked out i'm done like i can't back out of this thing i don't want Jin to win which means i can't win which means i have to allow myself to die fighting for the villain that, that, that warms my little narrative heart right there. Um, so the, the only thing I would have liked to done, done more was essentially something to get someone more willing to be on the side of, of Daigotsu Jin. And if, if I wanted to, you know, essentially he could have came with a heavier bargain towards you. I, I think if he would have perhaps maybe offered to, you know, if you fight for him, you know, I will will let your sister free type thing. There may have been something to to get you to do it. Uh, but, of course, with hindsight, it's always terrible to guess because I go, if we change anything like that, part two happens entirely differently. And right. I don't want to change part two. Part two was wonderful.
1: So, again, I'm just playing backseat sure. quarterback or backseat drivers, whatever quarterback. The only thing I could think, and this is just the 12 seconds I had while you were talking, um, is if you would have had all three of us start separately and have me start with him. Mm-hmm. Where he gives me the wakazashi in private, and we have like a moment where he's like, I understand, you know, this happened, you know, I've taken care of you. Cause you know, we were making everything up. So whatever he would have said there would have become truth.
0: Exactly. Um, but you know, one of the interesting reasons why that couldn't have happened. Cause if we remember going back to the first episode, originally was Morimoto, who was, I was going to try to right. duel for him. Yeah. Yep. You were um, supposed to
1: get that. Type, but again, this is just oh, sure, hindsight. Exact, hindsight
0: sure. Yeah, yep. Since
1: I was the character that grew up with them, it would have made sense to put me with them, but that was against what you were trying to do originally. So, yep. Um. So, all right. one more question here from the original. We have a couple more, but this is the last one from the original set of emails. Uh, we did talk. Excuse me. we talked in that first episode about how you knew we didn't really know l5r mm-hmm. so that first battle against the oni was sort of a training wheels like let me show you how the game works mm-hmm. scenario would you have still done that or how would it have been different if we were already familiar with l5r or if we were playing a different game like D d so like what's your first encounter goals if your goals aren't teaching the system because that's already out of the way
0: um the i the first encounter and and again it, it is when we look at that combat encounter so so again this is very specific towards the GM masterclass series into this the purpose of that encounter was to do several things uh one as you already mentioned was was to teach combat cuz you all had not done it before if we remove that concept the combat is still trying to do several other things narratively it's trying to establish how the river got changed. We had an oni that was chucking rocks. Okay. Bam. We've got it figured out or we thought we do. And now we had to figure out where the oni came from and all that nonsense. But it's to establish that. And then ultimately it's to establish relative power level of daigotsu jin. We talked about this at the end when, when James Gary Dulma's like, Oh, wait, his stats only a two or a three, whatever right. it was. And there was like the, I thought he was way more powerful than that (laughs) and that's because we establish a relative power level of, okay, he summoned this Oni this Oni was this stronger, we perceived it to be this strong Um, therefore he must be stronger than that because that's what makes sense within our brains as far as how we understand story the big boss is stronger than the mini boss like, we we understand that so the concept essentially is those things would have still happened exactly the same even if you all are familiar with the game, so I still need to establish a big rock-chucking Oni, I still need to establish a relative power level on it. Honest to goodness, if you all are familiar with the system, very little changes in that regard. Now, one of the questions that can come up with that is, okay, because as we talked about it, there wasn't actual mechanics behind them. It was more of a narrative encounter that occurred. Um, What if people are familiar with the game to a level of a certain level of system mastery where it's a, okay, we're fighting you know, an ogre. I know what an ogre is. I know what the stats are. And my easy answer to that is, um, I shouldn't say easy answer. My personal advice to that is I never want my players thinking that way. So I never run any stats out of the book. And I don't mean to say that I never run creature stats at all, but I regularly grab something. I grab a different, especially when like DD, I grab a different stat block and I run that like, okay, oh, you're fighting an ogre. And if I want them to be a weak ogre, I'll grab a goblin stat block and just narratively rename whatever the attacks are and the mechanics are based off of that Mm -hmm. so that way and essentially my regular players have known like okay just never assume whatever gym creature he threw at us is what what, what we're expecting it to be because the stats are never going to match and that way it prevents any of that sort of meta system mastery of okay i know this thing is really strong as opposed to i go i want you to engage with what's happening around you all
1: right very cool Uh, So once again, to anyone in chat, if you have any questions you'd like to ask uh, Jim or myself, they don't have to be related to L5R or to the GM Masterclass. It could be just general GM advice. I would
0: love to answer questions about the Aladdin TV series. Or just (laughs) anything
1: on your mind. We would be happy to try to address them. Uh, Until then, we will carry on. Uh, So this is from the Discord, our um, RPG Academy Discord. So I know the handles there. I don't know how they translate to actual names. Mm -hmm. So this is Medes. And um, he asked about the limited number of NPCs. Mm -hmm. I know we we sort of touched on that already that you didn't want to have too many because you want us to focus on the ones that you thought were relevant. Uh, But he had just mentioned that it, it felt like when he was listening to it that there wasn't a lot of other people around. Was that intentional? Like, what are your thoughts about that?
0: Uh yeah, I mean, to to a degree, it's intentional. Um, because uh, uh, tabletop players are just the worst human beings in the world. Me being one of them. Yeah. Um, because once you start adding someone adding NPCs and, and anyone who's GM'd probably more than one game or even one game knows when you add someone into a story and they're supposed to be irrelevant the players are going to latch onto them yep. I, I can't tell you how many people how how many NPCs who didn't have a name who were stacking books in a library ended up in the adventuring party like it's just <laughs> what happens yep. um, this is a story designed to be a very interpersonal story um, You know. again ultimately the 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 ending duel that was in my mind, I I just described a few minutes ago, was two people fighting, one on a side, that both on a side they weren't necessarily feeling good in, tricked to the point where one was going to have to kill the other, and it wasn't going to be a great feel-good moment. That's what I was working towards. What matters to get to that point? If it doesn't matter to get to that point, it wasn't in the story. And that's how I GM in that, that aspect to it. So I didn't put a lot of needless NPCs. There were actually, I think maybe we talked about this in the match class a little bit. Um, there was the, the Maho Sukai, the, the blood speaker who actually summoned the Oni was in the, um, spider camp originally planned, but y'all did no investigation in there. So they just never came up and right. they weren't needed. Um, you know, it wasn't a thing that needed to occur. So I, I bring in essentially the relevance that's needed for the story that's trying to be told. Um, If you listen to part two as we get into it, you'll notice that is a different story that has a different meaning to it. And suddenly there was a lot of different NPCs running around doing a lot of different things that not even always the players knew what they were doing.
1: Yes. Um, Um, So the thing I would just just jump in there, I think that is 100% a this is a medium for players that has become a medium for an audience. Mm -hmm. Because as players that never even crossed my mind Mm -hmm. but i think i can see as an audience like listening you might be like huh there's not a lot of description of other you know other people i don't think it would have anyone would have thought of that at all who were playing it's only because it's an audience medium Mm -hmm. that it became relevant
0: yeah it's interesting because that question kind of sparked because i was like wait my first response to it when when you said to me i go Mm -hmm. What, what are you talking about? Because in my head here, I go, every time you are walking through the street, I saw all these samurai walking around. I go, it was crowded with people. Like, the, these so towns. a peasant
1: were- with a camel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Or no, llama, Lava, lava, Yes, We're llama. A joke.
0: Damn it. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah uh, so I I see it like it. So the part of it could be a perceptive thing, but th- there is a truth to it. There are very few other named relevant NPCs outside of the main party, and it's because it's designed to be focused as an interpersonal story. Again, when we get into part two. You will see there is many more NPCs that are running around doing a bunch of different things well, on again, it.
1: Again, take you back to popular media. How many TV shows do you watch? there's not a lot of random people. They're in the background, they're at the dinner, but it's only the people at the table or the people who come to the table who matter. Everyone else is just background noise. And in an audio medium, sometimes it's hard to get across that it's a bustling city our village around the action that we're doing.
0: So. It's actually one, another one of those little wonderful games that I play in, in, watching movies or it's more relevant in TV shows where you have a regular reoccurring cast is count the number of named characters. Uh, so a character that you actually, you learn their name with an episode and quickly you start realizing they're like, Oh, there's the one extra person that they meet who you never met before an episode. And that's about it.
1: So it's, um, uh, one of the devices I give about NPCs is think of it like a TV show. Like you have, Bartender, mm-hmm. girl at the bar, guy at the police station, your NPCs can be the same way. You don't need to spend a lot of time come up with a name and a background for an NPC who probably won't matter. No, now, they'll drag
0: him into the adventure Those party. will be the ones that they <laughs> attach.
1: You know, they go, hey, you come here. But 90% of the NPCs in the world don't need a name or backstory. They're there to serve a purpose. So don't give them any mental power or effort because you need that for other things.
0: And I realize we're on a mild side tangent now, but I just in this moment realized why exactly people grab those NPCs that mean nothing. And it's advice that you gave prior on the the same thing, Michael, which is the less is more like, okay, he's just a guy, you know, stacking uh, stacking books on the library and he's got, you know, dusty clothes on. Well, wait, wait, what? Is he dirty? Was he out in the street? What's like immediately the mind starts going, what's going on with this person?
1: Well, it's also the thing of like, why did you mention it?
0: Yeah, yeah. Because
1: it's such a small, the type of stories that we're telling is if you say something, it must be important. Yep. (laughs) You know? And again, this is, again, we're getting way off. Right, sure, sure. One of my things that I love to do is I love to throw out random details that I don't know what they mean, but they might seem important. Like, you know, you notice this person has really vibrant green eyes. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know why they have green eyes; they just do. But <laughs> later, someone else might say, "Remember that girl with the green eyes? That there must have been something there." Yep. Or
0: as, as soon as a search for an emerald becomes part of the game, it's it, like, "Oh, it must be the there." Connection? Eyes. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, just I love throwing out random details just to see what they latch onto, right. and then trying to make them relevant. And and the green, I think, actually legitimately happened. Yeah, really? um, I
0: think. It, I assume you're doing a big trouble little China thing.
1: No, not this one. They were they were trying to get into a city. And basically, the, long, long story short, someone came up and said, hey, I need this in the city. I don't I don't have access to the city. Basically, will you smuggle this in. Right. And they offered them a lot of gold. They didn't have any money. So it was like, sure. And the person they talked to had just super vibrant green eyes. And that's all it was supposed to be it was just a throwaway NPC, like, to show you there's crime and corruption and to give them a little money. You know, that's right. all it was for. And then later on in the scene, like, you know, like different sessions down the road, I guess I'd forgotten that and I just made up another NPC who happened to have really green eyes and they saw the players thought, what's There's going on? Connection. So now it turns out that was a doppelganger right. who was both people because <laughs> clearly there they were both people. Yeah, yep. So that totally was not part of the story, <laughs> but because I said green eyes twice, right. totally different parts of the story. Uh, so here's a question from Game Disc, who again is on our, our Discord. So if you're a fan of the RPG Academy and you're not on our Discord server, shame on you. Um, he asked, and this was directed to me, do you feel that the GM masterclass has improved your GMing skills and will you run a dual stacking plot? So This is an interesting question. Let me <clears throat> pause for a
0: Face to Facebook, I can't reach out and touch you.
1: <clears throat> so I'm going to say yes, because I have to, right. contractually. Contractually. Um, but I think more than anything, listening to your reasonings behind why you do things Because I don't know that you did a whole lot of stuff that I don't already do, Mm -hmm. but I may not have done for the same reasons or I may have done them without reason, not realizing like, oh, okay, so when I did that, I didn't mean to give this impression, but I was. And so just the thought of like thinking through it now, like, okay, so if I want to cause this to happen, here's a way for me to do it. So it's just sort of made me think through some of my tools that, you know, they were in the tool bag. I never used them where I might just grope for them, you know, and and like, well, this is a good enough hammer here. Now I'm like, oh, that's a planer saw. I know how to use a planer mm-hmm. saw now. That's a whatever, because I don't know tools. Uh, <laughs> that's another tool that does a thing that I now know. And so I think that's the biggest thing is just keeping it top of mind. Um, for a lot of the types of games that I run, dual stacking plot doesn't really work. Because, again, that's a very sp- particular type of story Absolutely. that you're, you're telling. But I could see in like a con game, I might look at trying to do that and and seeing if I can get, you know, if I don't want the bad guy to seem so bad, how are some ways that I can do that? And one of the ways is not to worry about making them less bad, try to make the good guy less good good or (laughs) conflicted. Yes. You know, to the point where you're like, I know he's still the bad guy, but this guy's... (laughs) <laughs> Jerk, and you idiot! Uh, you know I want him to commit seppuku because you're a terrible leader. <laughs> uh,
0: yep, and and just a, a, as a note on that, well, certainly, obviously, any time you do GM advice, it feels feels good to be the GM vice president. Oh, I became a better GM listening to you, and I very much enjoy all that praising and send that praise to at GM Jim McClure on Twitter. Uh, right. But the, the reality of it, and I really like the analogy that you used on that, and and this is how I personally consume GM advice is exactly what you described. It's it's all tools for a toolkit. Uh, um, if I am a plumber um, and I went and bought myself, you know, I, I, we have a weird analogy here. I went to a G- GM advice podcast and I and I learned something, and now I have a new hammer in my tool bag. I don't necessarily say I'm a better plumber, um, but I do have more tools at my disposal now, and that's really what I look at personally from GM advice. Is I go, I've learned plenty of things from. I, I've learned things from people that are running their first game. I went, oh, they did something in a way that. <laughs> I never thought about or engaged in a certain way and I go that's a tool for the tool bag um, and so hopefully with the GM master class we talk about a lot of things that a lot of tools that I feel don't get talked about a lot so my honest hope would be that it, it put a couple tools into people's tool bags for it yep
1: uh, and I would I would say that it probably did um so here's a question also from game disc um And I I sort of translated this one. I think I kept the the reason behind it. So I apologize if I got it wrong. But I think he was asking, what was the real life time gap between when we played the first series and then when we played the second series, part two?
0: Um, and and I, I don't remember. I do know. I do okay. remember. Yep. Um. Because of uh, again other nerd cultures. Um. <laughs> uh. The the uh. And actually, I I can pinpoint it. Oh my god. Uh. So the the first weekend that we recorded that uh, it was a WrestleMania weekend. I'm a big WWE fan. I enjoy it. Uh, and this was the WrestleMania where uh, Brock Lesnar broke the Undertaker's undefeated streak at WrestleMania. It was a very very big moment for us us WWE fans. Um. So it was that weekend is when it was recorded. I don't know that date off the top of my head, but if, if you want to do quick Googles, we can tell you the exact date on it. Um, uh, and uh, so it was that weekend. so it would have been either the last weekend in March or the first weekend in April. It's always when WrestleMania is. Um, and then we recorded, it would have been mid-November that year. So you've got about eight months or so in between that first and, and second game was about the time frame for it. Okay. And then, yeah, yeah.
1: And And if... There were to be a part three.
0: If there were to be a part three,
1: we're now looking at what a two and a half to three year gap. I
0: think at this point we're about two and a half years. Is that right? I yet? think November will be
1: three years. November will be three 2018. years. Twenty eighteen, we yep. recorded the first one in twenty fifteen. Yep. yep. Yeah. So, so
0: November will be three years since the second one was recorded. That that's yep. correct. So that. Yeah,
1: might, might be an interesting thing. <laughs> uh, so, those are all of the pre questions that we got sent. So, once again, we'll go out to our chat audience. If you have any questions for Jim or myself about GM advice or anything in general that you want to talk about, uh, we had scheduled this to go two hours. So, we still got half an hour, plenty of time. Uh, I have some questions for you that I will go to while we're waiting. Okay. So, I don't want to rehash it all. Okay. Uh, but probably the most interaction and comments we got was from episode three. Yes. Where we first brought up the concept of fudging dice. Yes. Again, we are not going to have that entire conversation. Oh, really? Because I'm ready for it. No, no, no. <laughs> we're not going because because you and I are on the same page. Sure. So, uh, so I don't know that it has a lot of value because we're just going to keep agreeing with each mm-hmm. other.
0: But I can argue the other side if you want. Do you
1: want to at least touch on what the counterarguments were from the people who said, you know, I don't do that, or I don't think you should have to do that?
0: Yeah, and and essentially, some of the thoughts that that came back out, which are which are completely uh, legitimate and acceptable points. You know, some of this, to a degree, is is personal preference, um, and and some of the the concepts that come back from it, and some of the counterpoints to uh, essentially fudging dice, or as it was kind of revealed in this, fudging everything, you know, it was all made up behind the screen, is um, you know, at what point can you lose player trust that what's going on is legitimately going on and that, oh, the roles just don't matter for anyone, you know, if, if what's going on behind the screen is all smoke and mirrors uh, it doesn't feel true it doesn't feel legitimate Um th- those seem to be the, you know some of the the core concepts that come as far as the other side of things, which again is is a perfect legitimate um, um you know concern that comes with it uh, again without re- rehashing the whole conversation you know my my belief and on on the reason i i did what i did uh is because I, I i think that the other side of that conversation the side that says you should not um you shouldn't fudge dice you shouldn't fudge mechanics and all that I think they are probably the majority, and I think their voice gets heard the most. And anytime you hear on a forum, people go like, no, oh, no, I fudge die all the time. There's a lot of torches and pitchforks that I've seen. Uh So part of the reason, aside from being very open and honest throughout this whole series, that we we talked about this is I wanted to show that the other side – works you can absolutely my kids are home sorry
1: i don't know if that's bleeding through the mics or not but they're upstairs going crazy
0: the the other side of the you know the equation of of fudging again literally everything Absolutely works to make an interesting, dynamic situation for it. And as we talked about before, that should just be another tool in the toolbox. Uh, I made reference, I told a story earlier about sort of my moment where I felt like I had leveled up as a GM. Uh, that was a moment that was explicitly improved by adhering to the mechanics we had a player that rolled his damage roll and then had to compare it to his horse that he had saved from several situations and had a very strong emotional bond with and that was adhering strictly to the rules that told an incredibly powerful moment both of those are tools and both of those are tools that you should be put in the bag i am personally of the belief that All tools are good and have a purpose. It's understanding when to use them and when to adapt them. I'm I'm never advocating for like, oh, this wrench is better than this wrench because it's probably factually untrue. It's this wrench fits a certain bolt and this wrench fits a certain bolt and learn to use them when it's appropriate. Right.
1: I mean, I would agree with that. I I talk all the time about how I'm completely pro-fudging and all that kind of good stuff. But the reality is I don't really fudge that much because the reality is i don't roll that many dice Mm -hmm. you know we we could play three or four hours we might roll a handful of dice total so it doesn't really come up that often but what i would say to someone who's new is you need to learn the rules before you break them Mm -hmm. you know if you're an author who's written a bunch of novels like stephen king you can do things that kind of violate that structure because you know what you're doing Mm -hmm. it's an intentional thing if you're a virtuoso musician you can do things that aren't in music theory like what you would teach but it's going to work because you know what you're doing but i'm not good at designing encounters Mm -hmm. so if i screw up and i say you know this is gonna be a really fun fight because i'm gonna have three ogres and then the fourth round of combat there's going to be this thing that opens up and we're going to roll a bunch of lava through because that's going to make the you know terrain interesting and i did a bad job and really two ogres would have killed them now i got three of them here in Mm -hmm. lava then I think it's okay for me to go, okay, well, this ogre only has seven hit points instead of 14 because I need them to die. And in my opinion, there's no difference between the ogre now has less hit points or the ogre has more hit points or there were supposed to be two ogres, but now there's only one ogre and rolling a die and going, yep, it's four. To me, all of those things are exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. They're all fudging equal mm-hmm. and I will do any of them if I feel it's necessary, but it's not for my ego. It's not, no, my bad guy has to get away so he has a thousand more hit points. It's this is not going as planned. I screwed up. Let me fix it. Again, going right. back to the tool analogy, it's a cheat. Mm-hmm. It's like when you don't line up the joints correctly, so you put a little wood smoother in the middle there. So from a distance it looks like it's connected. Yep. But if you inspect it too much you might notice that it's not actually there.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, as, as we've talked about, it is a tool in the toolbox. Um, and it's one to understand and use. And again, I, I put it on display because it is a tool that works. And I wanted to be able to objectively show, like, I mean, honestly, I'm not going to lie. Being able to reveal that part and talk about it is one of the reasons I was excited about coming on and doing this because I've been part of some of these long internet forum debates where they just go, no, 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 you're wrong. And being able to go, This is how it worked, and objectionably, it worked well. Um, and to be able to point to that uh, is valuable. Again, now, what I'm most certainly not advocating is going, never do any mechanics, make it all up behind the screen, um, because that is just trying to take your five sixteenths rents and use it to fix every single problem that you have, uh, and that's not the lesson I wanted people to get out of that. The lesson right. I want to get people out of it is understand that there is a bunch of different ways to approach things, understand that, you know, the preconce a lot of times we have a lot of built up preconceived notions, and I think a lot of the pushback on the things like fudging die come from a time period that was not too long ago, which was the GM behind the screen going, aha, and you get hit again for... 8 million points of damage. Right. I, I win. Ha, ha, I ha, win. Ha, and, you know, that, or the, you know, you are going to do my story and that's it. And that's why there's a lot of, honestly, there's a lot of pushback to, to doing heavy narrative structured games like sort of what I run to it because there's a pushback because there was not too long ago a time period where there was a big prevalent problem with that. My big advice to people is I go, don't throw out good tools just because there's some bad connotations to them. Understand how... They work. Understand how they're applied. Maybe they will apply to the games that you run. Maybe they won't. But here's them being used.
1: It's like going to a restaurant you've never been to before and get terrible food poisoning, mm-hmm. and then someone's like, "Hey, do you want to go back to that restaurant?" No, right. <laughs> you know, it might be a great restaurant, but the one time it happened to me it was awful, and I'm just not going to go back there.
0: Exactly. And so
1: there, you know, again, other people can go there and have great meals, <laughs> but not me. So um, let me ask you a question here, Jim. Sure. I would say most people would agree that that was a very successful game. I think it was uh, a fun game. We had fun playing it. We've gotten a lot of accolades from the role play and from the GMing and all that kind of stuff. Can you remember back to that moment when it was over, finally, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we had the duel and everybody was like, oh I got it!" we're all excited and we're talking about this and stuff. How did you feel? <laughs> what was your thought or your emotion at that moment?
0: I think I might have I might have uh, told this semi before. I when we got done, I was like, "That was a good game. Uh, I had fun." I mean, on honest to goodness, I go, I go, I, I'd run better games of L five R with my home group, but we had months to build up stories and all of that. I go, I thought it was a really good game. I go, I wish people could see this, but I think this is unerrable in one shot. <laughs> um was legitimately my thought. And you were there when I told James. I told him after that, I go, you know, ultimately I go, when you edit it, I was trying to softball you, when you edit it through, I go, if, if it doesn't, you know, if you can't air it, then just just don't air it. Um, you know, I go, that that's perfectly fine. Um because and again we talked about it, I was I had a lot of concerns that this was not the style of game that the one shot audience was going to enjoy because everything up until that point I think that I had listened to it, had all been comedy focused. Right. Um you know, they've done several other other serious ones since then and I was worried it was not going to land well at all, and what I was terrified of was I was like. I think I ran a pretty good game. Um and again, I most certainly don't want to take all their credit for it, as we talked about in the series. Like that game would not have been what it was without without the three of you yeah, all. It, it was, was everybody. It was four people who all put in twenty-five percent each on that game, without question. Some of us put in twenty-six. <laughs> <laughs> not living up to that silent king moniker, I say. Oh <laughs> um, so uh you know, it it was but I, I what I was terrified of was that it was going to play and then there would essentially be crickets and it would be like Okay, uh back to the yucks please, right. um, you know, type thing. And and luckily did James D'Amato was was smarter than me in that case and was like, No, no, this is good, the audience will love it and all that. Uh but that was that was my immediate feeling after is I was like, I don't think this is arable in one shot. So,
1: so it's separate out the one shot.
0: Okay. Just okay. from
1: your I'm a game master, I ran a game scale of one to ten. How do you how do you feel you did seven. seven? Okay. seven.
0: Yeah. So um, I'm going to ask you a question here. Okay.
1: Okay. And I don't want to get into any details. Sure. What score would you give yourself after part two of this series?
0: Oh, Michael. We're being hitting, honest and open, right? Hitting uh 5.5. Okay. 5.5. So the reason I ask yep. is
1: there has been some discussion between you and I mm-hmm. and between me and the other faculty. Yep. <clears throat> we definitely want to do more GM Masterclass. Mm-hmm. 100% this is something we want to do again. But there was some conversation like, do we really want to go into another L5R game? Sure. Do we want to go into another series with the same game master? Right. You know, do we want to try to bring in other people? And I was leaning that way. Mm-hmm. I was really thinking, you know, maybe we should bring in a, like a D&D game or or whatever. You know, there's we could change it up. But someone was asking some questions and it got me thinking. So I went back and I re-listened mm-hmm. to part two. Mm-hmm. And I recalled some of the conversation you and I had after part two. And I personally feel that the conversation around part two will be drastically different. Very different. Than part one mm-hmm. because we viewed part one as a success. And from a genius standpoint, you sort of viewed part two as a failure. Yeah, It was not up to your standards.
0: I, I, I've, I've never, I know for a fact, I've never stated this on the mics. We've had conversations after this. Um, I, I think part two suffered from total abject, not total abject failure, but abject failure of the GM, of course, myself who ran that. Um, there was, there are some really good lessons to be learned from that. Right. Um, and a lot of the core abject failure came from, I, it, it is the, it's the counterside to, to running a structured story. I was too committed to my structured story in part two. There was a couple scenes that I wanted to happen um, solely because I was in a very interesting. God, this is so weird to say. I was in a very interesting emotional time because this happened directly after we learned L5R was getting sold to Fantasy Flight, like within a month or two after after that came out. Um, and I was in an odd place with L5R in my mind, and there was a couple scenes that I wanted to occur because they were going to parallel my experience with L five are in a meta way and I wanted those things to occur too badly and I didn't allow myself to go with what the players were doing and flow with that in a certain way. I still think we ended up with some amazing good moments out of that series. Um, I'm, I'm still very, very happy with it at the end of the day. Um, but that was a series where the, the players were fully on board with what was going on, fully engaged with the story and the GM was not responding to the players actions. Um, and that's where my, I state my abject failure as a GM in part two and when and if we do that that is most certainly something we will open up right. and discuss.
1: So and and that is why I have decided as long as you're on board I do want to do part 2 next. okay I want to I want to move directly into that to be the next series which again there's a good chance it may be weeks or months before we can record, sure. maybe weeks or months before we actually release. So it's going to be some time. Mm-hmm. But that is going to be the next series because I do think this isn't just going to be the same lessons over and over yeah. again. It's going to be in the first series it worked, here's why it's worked. Mm-hmm. Second's going to be like it didn't work right here's why it didn't work and here's how I recovered or how I tried to recover right and I think that is going to be very valuable possibly humbling
0: uh yes it, it's it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting tale that will be told
1: yes uh, and there's and we and we're not going to do all of it now but right. there was some editing yeah that yep. happened to make that game a little different and, there was. Uh, yeah but we'll get into that sort of because I can be more interesting in context yeah so we'll get to there but So those are all the questions I have. Uh, So we'll go one more time to the audience. If you have any questions for Jim or myself, please answer. Jim, I'll ask you. Do you have any questions?
0: I have a, yeah, I, I do have a quote from the player perspective of, okay. of, of the game. Um, one of the things I was most curious about is what were your expectations coming into that game? Cause again, we, we had some conversation beforehand. Obviously you were very familiar with the one shot podcast before. And again, their typical environment. And then again, me coming like, Hey, we're going to run a serious game. Um, what were your, what were your expectations going into that game of what you thought you were going to play? I guess. Um,
1: I think to me it's funny. Um, I was terrified. Yeah, yeah. Um, Again, when we talk about in the series, you know, I had a podcast, had some listenership, nowhere near what One Shot had. Here's an opportunity for me to be on that show to you know represent my show. Hopefully, get a bunch of people to start listening to our show. So I wanted to make sure I did a good job. You know, so I was really, really focused on making sure that I came to the table and role played well. I wanted to represent my you know the rpg academy we also drove i think like five six hours to a city i'd never been to before i met james for the first time in person i was sleeping on his couch there was a lot of crazy <laughs> stuff happening all around this game it's a game system i had never played before and again you know, i've said it before i think i'm a funny guy i think you know i got some one-liners i got some zingers <laughs> i got some dad jokes i can get people to laugh around the table and then you're like, this is a serious game. <laughs> I, and I just kept thinking, like, fudge. You know, like, my one thing that I think it's one shot. I can be funny on one shot. And I still was.
0: <laughs> you, you, llamas.
1: <laughs> llamas. <laughs> Someone give me a llama. <laughs> uh, so so that's my that's what I do all the time when I play D. It's just nonstop zinger type right. of things. I'm a terrible player. I would, I would hate <laughs> myself as a player. So, I didn't have a whole lot of like expectations. I just had fear mm-hmm. that I was going to represent myself poorly. And I still cannot to this day listen to that episode and not yell at myself, it's
0: daigatsu jin. Daigatsu jin. Daigatsu
1: jin. Daigatsu Oh my God. It drives me crazy <laughs> when I hear myself. And, you know, and also just even my mic presence. Mm. I was timid i was a lot quieter and some of it was like we were trying to role play you know like yeah, yeah. you know calm but i i don't like the way i sound on the podcast i like the choices i made yeah, yeah i don't know that i you know lived that character as much as i would have liked to in that first series
0: what about the second series uh i was a lot Without more spo- comfortable you were everyone was much more comfortable i was a
1: lot more comfortable um and there's some, there's definitely some things that i want to talk about yeah. in yeah okay yeah no, but, no spoilers but, but yeah but but i will say that there was some, there was also some nervous, nervousness because one, the first series was so well received. Mm-hmm. I thought, here's our chance to, you know, capitalize right. on that. I'm a lot more comfortable now. I've been doing it longer. I'm the one editing it, so I have a lot more control, and I can just re, re, I can edit that go-to, and just put that in every time <laughs> if I need to. Uh, and then Cat, who I never met because she wasn't there the first right. time, she got edited, and it, it definitely changed the dynamic. Yeah. Uh, and I think that is some of the conversation I yeah. wanna have is how having her there changed things a lot um but yeah, I wasn't scared ever at ever all then. I just wanted to have a fun game and i I think we had a fun game, oh, we definitely
0: had a fun game, but yeah, but uh.
1: There's, there's, I think that's, I'm interested in getting
0: into that. <laughs> but anything else? Uh, no, I, I, I think that was it. And, and uh, ho- hopefully, I say for those that that listen and follow through the whole series with us, you know, listening to the original podcast, obviously part two that we did, then this GM masterclass and this live show. Um, you know, my, my, my hope is always that you know it was, it was entertaining and educational. You know, um, hopefully that was, that was a good experience for you all. Again, we'll, will let you enjoy the hobby even more than what you did before. And again, if it put a couple extra, extra. Extra uh, uh tools in the tool bag then then we've done our job and uh we'll we'll move on to part two
1: fantastic jim thank you so much for being here thank you for all your time all the hours and hours <laughs> you spent in my basement uh thank you to everyone watching and listening now and to anyone who listens in the future um hopefully if this was your first experience with the rpg academy because you came to us from jim coming through the one shot Pod- podcast network please check out some of our other shows i i think they're all quality in their own way and we all are are also part of the RPG Academy network. So there are a bunch of other shows that also will give you different avenues and in, in, in insight into gaming and also some just really good actual plays that do some really cool stuff. So hopefully you'll check that out. And, again, join our Discord Discord server. I, I love having that thing now because people talk all the time. and It's just like my phone buzzes at work all day, <laughs> and I just need that interaction. So uh, until next time. This has been Michael. This has been Jim. And we, I see I screwed up again. Really? Every I thought time, we did that good live. Because no, I, I until next time, I was supposed to say that later. Oh, so, okay. to say, so thank you. And this has been Michael.
0: This has been Jim.
1: And we will see you next time. And then we do the awkward way And then out. we do the awkward way yeah. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network.
2: You can email us via podcast at the RPG and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google plus at the RPG Academy.
1: But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite
2: co-host the Caleb G at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host Michael at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun.